Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. person who maintains peace in relationships with others will produce the fruit of righteousness. And what James is saying is this, the Christian who obeys God's wisdom sows righteousness, not sin. He sows peace, not war. And the life we live enables the Lord to bring righteousness and peace into the lives of others. When you're this type of a person, it's contagious. That's why he's, he's so emphasizing that teachers need to be wise, because teachers influence, as we said before. I admit that I have learned from bad teachers, but I've never been inspired by one. Wise teachers inspire. Cantankerous teachers, well, like my mother used to say, you're supposed to set an example, not be one. You're listening to Verse by Verse, the expository or one verse at a time preaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Sometimes it almost seems like the Apostle James has summarized a large part of the book of Proverbs right here in the latter verses of James 3. If our ambition is to be holy, that's a mark of godly wisdom. Here's Pastor Steve now to wrap up this three-part sermon on true and false wisdom. And then James goes on to say, peaceable. The kind of person that God says is a wise person, is a peaceable person. And it literally means he's ready for peace. It's a type of person who restrains discord. He's a peacemaker. He patches up quarrels rather than starting it. The person with the world's wisdom makes war in a church. The person with God's wisdom patches up. He's a healer. He's a soother. He's not antagonistic. He's not contentious. He's not a critic. He's not quarrelsome. He's living in harmony with God, and therefore he wants to be in harmony with others. And that's his goal. And notice the peace flows from holiness. But it doesn't compromise with sin. You see, it's never peace at any price. The Bible says this in Romans twelve eighteen: If it is possible, as much as, as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. There are times where it is impossible. And that's why God never says that it's always possible. If it's possible, live at peace with one another. There are times where holiness will not permit you to be at peace with someone else over an issue. And that's when you have to dig in and take your stand on the word of God with love, with grace, but never compromise. It is not peace at any expense. Certainly not at the expense of holiness. Isaiah 32, 17 says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. If there's righteousness in your life, it will lead to peace. The effect of righteousness, quietness, 
and assurance forever. You want to be a quiet person. You want to be an assured person. You want to have that peace that God says, then you be righteous. And righteousness leads to peace. And there are some people who are more interested in not rocking the boat than they are in purity. And they'll patch up things where maybe they shouldn't patch it up. Always going about trying to be a peacemaker, but there are times when purity says you cannot patch it up or you'd be sinning. So there has to be that balance. We, if it's possible, we make peace. But always purity first, and then peace. And then he says, gentle. Now this is a different word than the word that's used in verse 13 for gentleness. It has been translated by some, considerate, forbearing, courteous, reasonable, and kindly. All of those fall short. It's very difficult to find out exactly what this word means, but I, I think it's closest to the way William Barclay uh, translates it and, and explains it. And this is what he says. And I want you to listen because this is very difficult to find what this word means, but you have to see how it's used in Scripture. The man who is gentle, he says, is the man who knows when it is actually wrong to apply the strict letter of the law. Now listen. He knows how to forgive when strict justice gives him a perfect right to condemn. He knows how to make allowances when not to stand upon his rights, how to temper justice with mercy, always remembers and remembering that there are greater things in the world than rules and regulations. It's very similar to forgiveness, though it's not exactly that. It's a person who knows that he doesn't always have to stand upon his rights. One person has called this sweet reasonableness. I think that's a good way to translate It's sweet reasonableness. If you're wise, James says, you won't hold on to your rights. So you have every legal right to do that. You will give of your rights. You won't stand ground. And we're not talking about biblical issues. We're talking about certain rights that you may have, such as people suing one another. It's wrong for a Christian to sue one another, to sue another Christian. But we live in a day and age where everybody wants their rights, and if they don't get it, they're offended. James says a wise person, he's not going to compromise his standard, if it's God's standard, but he will give of his rights. He will relinquish those rights when it's necessary. This person willingly waives the right to deal harshly with someone else. That's the way it is. When you have every right to come down hard on a person, wisdom in certain cases will take over and say, it is better to keep quiet and not deal harshly in this area than to say what you would say. In another area, it may be that you need to come down hard, but it's, it's a wise person who can discern when it's right to hold back and when it's right to let it all fly. That's the kind of person James says is wise. And I just wonder if, when you hear these things, are you a gentle person or do you come down hard on everyone? Is it the letter of the law or is there a spirit of graciousness with you? More trouble starts in churches because, start in churches because someone has refused to act graciously and refused to, to move. They have stood their ground. Now, we're not talking about doctrinal issues, but someone has stood their ground and they will not budge. Someone in authority needs to know about this, and that's why James is saying a wise teacher, leader, must be gentle or he'll forever hold grudges. 
He must know when to deal harshly and when not to deal harshly. Sometimes the best thing to do is to shut up. And sometimes the best thing to do is to deal in discipline. And God has to give us the wisdom, and that's why it comes in this category of gentle. It's the picture, for instance, in the Gospels of the parable of the man who who was forgiven all by the king. But this man went out, he owed the king so much money he could never pay it back, and the king said, I forgive you. And then this man dealt harshly with those who owed him money. He was not a gentle person. He dealt harshly when he should have just said, I have every right to collect money from you, but forget it. It's yours. Just You don't owe it to me. I'm not going to deal harshly with you. That's the same term that's used here. That's the illustration in Scripture. Let's move on. A wise person will be reasonable. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word is used, and it means easily persuaded. You may think, what does he mean, wishy-washy? You just you can kind of uh, persuade him to go this way. He wavers. You tell him to go that way. No, it means he's reasonable. He's open and teachable. He's one who is ready to cooperate when shown a better way. I, t- I tell you, this is so meaningful because how many times have you been with Christian leaders who you told them something that you thought it could be done another way, and their response, whether they said it or not, was never. It didn't come from me. And you have found, as you've spoken to them, that they have been stubborn, they have been uncooperative, they will not listen, they have been closed-minded. God says that's a mark of being unwise. A wise leader is the kind of person you can appeal to, and you know that he'll listen and he'll give it every consideration. He may not agree with you, but he'll think it over. And after thinking it over, he'll come back and tell you what his conclusion was. It's a mark of wisdom to have this, and I've known more men than I really care to know who are not reasonable. If it isn't their idea, if it didn't come from them, they won't consider it. They're unteachable. How teachable are you when you're teaching in a Sunday school class, student comes up, maybe they're just a little student, and tells you of a better way? If you resist that and you don't even think about that, then you're not wise. You're not reasonable. You're not teachable. Can you learn from others who are less knowledgeable than you? I remember years ago in the Evangelism Explosion Ministry, we had a team that was together And uh, the two people, there were three people on the team, and two of the people, the trainer as well as the assistant trainer, had been saved only about one year. And the person they were to train had been saved for many, many, many years. And we had real problems with this person because he was unreasonable. He would not take directions from someone who he considered to be less knowledgeable than him, even though they knew what they were doing and he didn't. It's a matter of pride. He was unreasonable. And in churches, we can be like that. The famous words of of so many churches are, but this is the way we've always done it, and we don't want to change because it's worked for 500 years this way, and it'll work for 500 years this way. God says, if it's valid, listen. Perhaps you need to change. You need to be wise. If someone shows you a better way, 
then go that way. Concerning this, Warren Wiersbe says, God's wisdom makes the believer agreeable and easy to live with and work with. Man's wisdom makes a person hard and stubborn. The reasonable person is willing to hear all sides of a question, but does not compromise his own convictions. He can disagree without being disagreeable. And I don't want it to seem like I have something against fundamental churches, but this is usually where I don't see it operate. People who know the truth and yet they come right back to verse 13, jealousy, selfish ambition, and so many men I have met like that, it is their way or it won't be done any other way. God says you're hard to live with. James says become reasonable. Become cooperative. doesn't mean you agree with everyone. I just wonder if, if as you hear the word of God, if you can evaluate your own life, are you tolerant? Are you flexible? Are you teachable to consider some other way? Or are you kind of set on your own way? You've, you've so made up your mind that no matter what anyone else says, you can't listen to it objectively. Then he says there's something else. He says, full of mercy and good fruit. Mercy is simply means a compassionate heart, a compassionate attitude, and good fruit is the action. When you are merciful, you are compassionate towards people who don't deserve your compassion. The good Samaritan was compassionate. He was merciful. That was the action, the attitude, but the action is good fruit. You don't just speak about mercy. We do something about it. A person who says he's merciful and doesn't do anything about it is the kind of person James says uh, who sees you naked and hungry and he says to you, take care, have a good meal, and then he leaves you. A wise Christian doesn't just talk about compassion. He does something about it. There's action. And then James says he's unwavering. This person has firm convictions that don't change. Now, it doesn't mean that he won't listen to other sides on non-doctrinal issues, but on doctrinal things, on things that he knows from the Scripture, he will not change. He acts consistently. He doesn't take one position in one circumstance and another in another circumstance. That's called situation ethics. Teachers must have firm convictions, but there are too many Christians who live by the saying, when in Rome, live as the Romans do. And God says, when in Rome, live as the believer lives. We're to be unwavering. A person who is unwise, who listens to the world's wisdom and lives by that, is always pressured by the system to change their view. To change their view to whatever the day's view is. And if you know a person like that, he should never be a teacher if he's up and down all the time, unstable, carried about by every wind of doctrine. There ought to be a consistency there. You you know how he's going to act. He isn't going to handle one situation one way and another another way. God's wisdom stands upon Scripture. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And that's the kind of person James says is a wise person. He stands upon the word. And finally, James says he is without hypocrisy. If you're wise, you'll be without hypocrisy. What does that mean? Hypocrisy comes from the Greek language describing an actor who played two parts. He would have a comedian's mask on, and he'd come out and say a few funny lines, and it would a little smiley face, and everybody would laugh. Then he'd go backstage, change his mask, and come out with a sad, 
mask. He would, he would be the same actor playing two parts, and they'd all be sad, and he'd say tragic things. And, and this was a hypocritas, a hypocrite. It's come over into the Christian realm to mean one who says one thing one time and another another time. He's pretending. He's living two lives. He's not consistent. He's not real. He's hiding something. God says that a man or a woman who is to be a teacher needs to be without pretense. You know what this really means? It means that there is no place in the church for religious politics. I know men who always seem to be to be scheming, always seem to be having a plan that, that never unfolds until the last minute. That's called religious politics. There's pretense, there's, there's scheming, there's planning, there's behind-the-scenes operation that only a few know about, and then somehow it unfolds the last minute. That's hypocrisy. James says a leader needs to be without hypocrisy. No special plans, no special politics. Real, upfront, honest, above board, not deceitful. And then finally we read the consequences of true wisdom. This was the contrast. What is the consequence? What happens when there's the fruit of true godly wisdom in your life? Verse 18. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A person who maintains peace in relationships with others will produce the fruit of righteousness. And what James is saying is this. The Christian who obeys God's wisdom sows righteousness not sin. He sows peace, not war. And the life we live enables the Lord to bring righteousness and peace into the lives of others. When you're this type of a person, it's contagious. That's why he's he's so emphasizing that teachers need to be wise, because teachers influence, as we said before. And if you're not righteous, the congregation will not be righteous. Sunday school teachers, if you're not righteous, your class won't be righteous. Unwise leaders make war, but wise leaders produce righteousness and peace. And you know where it all begins? Back in verse 13. Good behavior. Good behavior is one who says, I'm not like this, but I want to be like this. I want to conform to the truth. I want to be like what James is saying. It also begins back in verse 13. He's gentle. You allow God to put you under his control. Maybe, these, maybe you don't meet all of these qualifications, but you're willing to let God control you. You're willing to say, I want to be under your control, and I want to conform to the truth. That's what James is looking for. That's what God is looking for. The first step is salvation. You cannot have any of this, God's wisdom, unless you first have God in your life, and that's trusting him for salvation. But the second step, Remember what we said many weeks ago? Solomon stood before the Lord and the Lord said, Ask of me anything and I'll give it to you. Solomon says, I just want to be wise and I want understanding. God says, Because you have asked for this and not for yourself, you've got it. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If you don't have this in your life, you need this. You need that purity. You need to ask for it. Even as we sung before, that was a prayer. You need peace. You need gentleness, reasonableness, 
You need to be full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. James says, ask if you don't have it. I came across this statement just recently. In the third century, Cyprian, who was the bishop of Carthage, wrote to his friend, Donatus, and he said this. He said, it's a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it of it a quiet and good people who have learned the great secret of life. They have found the joy and a wisdom which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are Christians, and I am one of them. He said there are wise people. They've overcome the world. Have you ever overcome the world? Or are you operating on the world's plane? Are you selfish? Is there jealousy in your life? Or do you, are you out to live for God's glory, period? Let's take a moment of silent prayer for you to ask God to build into you that kind of wisdom, even as Solomon did. And God will produce this fruit in your life. Otherwise, you'll only mess up your life and you'll mess up the life of a church. Our Father, we pray that you'll make us a wise people. It's so easy to live with our minds down here to get caught up with that rat race we call society, to try to get ahead and be competing even in Christian circles. Our Father, we pray that you will help us to be individuals that have your wisdom, your lifestyle, because this is the way the Lord Jesus was and is. All of these are qualities of him. I want to be this type of a person. I ask, even as Solomon asked, that you would give me wisdom and understanding that I might lead in my capacity, might lead according to your ways. I pray for our elders that we would be wise, for our deacons, for Sunday school teachers, for those who lead in ministries, for our staff, for all who are in some capacity leaders for every mother and father, they would be wise. Above all, we, we pray that you would burn this into our hearts, that we would recognize that we are to be different, not just in what we believe, but in how we respond to what we believe. May Lakeside be known as a church that is different because we want, above all, to be wise. And we look around us and we see so much that is not wise. And we aren't responsible for others, but we are responsible for ourselves. Make us wise. May there be no room here for selfish ambition, for jealousy, for arrogance, for lying against the truth. May there be that humility that says, may Jesus Christ be glorified. May I be wise in following him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen and amen. We need to evaluate ourselves often to look for worldly attitudes and traditions that get in the way of holiness. May we hold tenaciously to the truths of the gospel while remaining alert to the changes God wants to make in our lives. It was good to have you here today as Pastor Steve Kreloff wrapped up this message on the third chapter of James. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For service times and other information, or if you have questions about salvation or spiritual growth, give the church a call at 727-441-1714. 
You can also find information at Lakeside's website, lakesidechapel.com. The entire sermon we just concluded is available for free on a CD. If you'd like one, call Lakeside at the number I just gave, 727-441-1714. Ask for message 2210, Wisdom, the True and the False, Part 3. Leave a message with a daytime phone number if you call outside normal business hours, and someone will return your call. All of our previous broadcasts are available for free downloading or streaming if that's your preference. Go online to versebyverseradio.org and visit the Message Archive page. If you'd like to help with the costs of production and airtime, we also have giving information on the website, or you can call Lakeside. That's versebyverseradio.org. Thank you for your faithful prayers for this ministry and for your generous gifts. I'm Jerry Peterson. I heard once about a man who had been stranded alone on a small island for several years. When a ship found him, he greeted his rescuers enthusiastically and just had to show off his accomplishments. First, he showed them the house he'd built. Then they went on to the church he had constructed. Someone noticed a third structure and asked about it. Oh, said the man, that's the church I used to go to. Why are there so many fights in our churches? It seems like even if there's just one person, they'll have a church split. We'll consider that on the next verse by verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff moves on to chapter 4 of the book of James. We are here to give you strength between.